Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I'm in Arizona. I'm on a bus with a load of MAGA bros. They were so riled up. They were drunk. The conspiracy theories were flying about Obama and, and the hatred and the vitriol. Twenty twenty four is a very big year for America and by extension the rest of the world, all of us. This November there will be a presidential election fought between two candidates, Joe Biden, a Democrat, who would be eighty six at the end of a second term, and Donald Trump, the Republican, who would be eighty two if he completed a second term of his presidency. Both candidates are hugely unpopular in America, and America itself seems more divided than ever. So I thought this week we might take a look at America from the perspectives of two different commentators who I enjoy listening to very much on a weekly basis on Matt Cooper's The Last Word on Today FM. They are Marion McKeown and Cal Thomas, who have both appeared on my podcast at different times. And we thought we would pick out the best bits from their interviews, which they gave me, and bring them together into one episode this week. First, we'll hear from Marion, who comes from a more liberal, liberal perspective, who spent the last couple of decades in America and has some fascinating stories to share. Like all of the crazy little places I've been to, like there was one town where I drove around a tornado barrier into a ditch and out the other side and I said, I will take my chances on the road in the line of a tornado rather than stay here for a night. Yeah. And the clue was they had one nightclub and it was called Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> then we will hear from conservative commentator Cal Thomas. People are excluded though, aren't they, Cal? I'm excluded. I was not, for, for a long time, I wasn't hired because I was too young. Now I'm not mm. hired because I'm too old. I'm too white. I'm too male. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. Uh, I don't complain. I don't file suits. I find a yeah. different way around the blockade to become successful. That's all coming up very shortly. But first, comedy. Did you see the RTE scandal this week? RTE appearing before the Media Oireachtas Committee. The payment of four hundred and fifty thousand redundancy package to Brida O'Keefe, the outgoing financial chief there. My God, extraordinary stuff. And it's even more extraordinary because this week we gained exclusive access, as we always do on this podcast, to RTE's voicemails. Listen to this. You've reached RTE's financial department, thank you, for barter accounts, press one, to trigger a redundancy package, press two, to leave a message for our financial team, press three, thank you. Uh, how are you lads? Uh, this, this, this is Bertie O'Hearn. Uh, I must say, I, 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 I take exception uh, to, the, to, to on hearing this story about the, the way this 450k payment was handled by RTE to, 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 to Breed O'Keefe. In my opinion, it, it, the money should really have been given to, to, to earn cash. That way, you, you would have you would have avoided any of this blowback. It could, could have been avoided, but anyway, thanks. It's done now. Thanks. Hello, this is John Delaney. <laughs> I saw you there on the, on the Public Accounts Committee online there. And uh, no, I was wondering, why we why did you bother answering their questions? What, would, would you not have just stonewalled them there, lads? Or, or, or just, uh, remember when I told you, just give 50 quid to some fella there to whisper in your ear for, for half an hour? <laughs> and as always, tomorrow. <laughs> This is Eddie Hobbs. Message for Breda O'Keefe. Breda, I understand that you've come into some liquid funds recently. I currently have a great business opportunity for you to invest in a series of apartment blocks in Haiti. You have my number. (laughs) (laughs) They should really turn that whole RTE scandal right at this stage now into into a drama of some sort. It would make a fortune. I mean, look at all the actors. Paul Maskell playing... Uh, Kevin Backhurst, uh, Brendan Gleeson, um, Saoirse Ronan playing, playing Brido O'Keefe. I mean, it would just, it would be brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Anyway, let's move on to our episode. Um, we're going to start this episode with Marion McKeown, one of Ireland's best writers about life, culture and politics in the United States. During the course of her work, Marion has spent a lot of time at so-called MAGA rallies, Make America Great Again rallies, where Trump supporters get together and celebrate their chosen leader the god the orange god the um the savior that they that they've chosen um i wanted to know what it was like being at such an event and marion told me all about it 
after Somalia, I went to Syria to work in the Syrian refugee. I was based in Beirut, but I spent a lot of time in the Syrian border and in a sort of a no man's land up in um, between northern Lebanon and Syria and uh, where like there was no border, basically. And I remember Hezbollah were involved in, you know, they, they had sent in fighters to help Assad, to help the Assad regime. And that was what really um, turned it around for Assad, unfortunately, because Hezbollah were so disciplined. But I remember one time coming back from doing some work on the border um, in, God, I can't, one the, wherever, one of the border towns. And we got caught up in a repatriation ceremony. And what happens with these repatriation ceremonies is um, uh, if a fighter is killed, a Hezbollah fighter is killed in Syria, they'll have this thing where they'll bring them back in a caravan of, of trucks, like pickup trucks and trucks, and they'll have the... the um, basically the body, you know, on top of a couple of the trucks and they'll all be doing this kind of celebratory gunfire because mm. they believe that they have fulfilled their role. Now, this isn't in, in the, the sort of suicide bomber capacity. This is they believe they were a fighting army who were in Syria fighting who they believed were the enemy on behalf of Assad. Mm. So they have this thing where they come back and they're all firing guns in the air and it's and it's a pretty scary thing to get caught up in, quite honestly. And we got slightly run off the road. Um, but uh, anyway, I was in West Virginia and I was driving and I got caught up in a MAGA caravan. Yeah. And a MAGA caravan is all these guys in pickup trucks and there would be like six or eight in the back of these flatbed trucks, you know, and they all had their machine guns and their Uzis. And the difference with them and the Hezbollah guys was the Hezbollah guys were disciplined. Yeah. They did not drink. They were yeah. focused. They were, these guys were roaring drunk. Yeah. They were trying to run cars off the road. Yeah. They had all these huge flags, just like the Hezbollah flags. Only they said Trump, make America great again yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, my God, there is extremism. There is domestic extremism in America. Will it spiral to the level of civil war, no. But it has now been recognised, I think, by the Department of Homeland Security, by friends of mine who work in the FBI, who before were very, you know, dismissive of it, who really only thought, who thought the enemy was anybody connected to ISIS, Al-Qaeda or whatever. And I'm not, but now they realise that there is a threat internally. And the threat internally comes from these guys who are mainly young white guys who are, as Trump would say himself, poorly educated, who tend to not really work or to work in in sort of pretty unskilled work where they do work and they're angry and they want someone to blame and they don't even know what they're angry about half the time. And I I do remember, and I'm segueing here a little bit, I was up in North Dakota working on another story and it was to do with oil and energy and gas pipes up in North Dakota. Anyway, I went to a meeting where Donald Trump Jr. was strutting his stuff and uh, doing his his MAGA thing. And afterwards, I spoke to one of the uh, the companies, one of the CEOs of one of the companies, and there was this big thing about, you know, immigration and the border and whatever. And he said to me, a lot of our workers now are migrants. He said, they're migrants and we bring them up. And he said, and one of the things that happens is he said, you'll have these guys, the MAGA guys, who will be waiting outside for them to come out so they can beat them up. And I said, well, why aren't you giving the jobs to the MAGA guys, like the local, you know, North Dakota MAGA guys? And he said, because not one of them can pass a drug test. He said, working in these fields Jesus. requires the use of heavy machinery, yes. you know, if you're laying down pipes or whatever, yes. drilling for gas. And he said, not one of them can pass. And I'm not talking about cannabis, yes. opioids. Yes, he opioid said, crisis yeah, in opioids. America, fentanyl, and, all yeah, this sort of all stuff. All that stuff. And he said, and you know what? And, it, you know, when people say it's, it sounds like something that, I don't know, the PDs would have said 20 years ago, they don't want to work, you know, or whatever. Mm. But like, really, it seems that these guys now addiction is an appalling thing and it destroys lives. But it seems like and I saw this and I yes. spoke to hundreds of them God. where they really don't seem to want to work, but they hate Mexicans and yes. they hate immigrants. Yeah, this is what I was going to ask people. you. I mean, yeah. like. Is there a, is there a, an argument to be made for that that it's racism that it's to do with let's say that's something they call it the great replacement theory yeah and, absolutely and that yeah. they are here to yeah. take away our whiteness they are yeah. here to take away our race our jobs um, yeah. and and ultimately to di- to displace us that's and this is why they have this you know, remember that chant in Charlottesville yeah. you the Jews will not, not replace us and everything and and 
isn't this kind of fundamentally at the root of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely at the root of it. And, you know, it really kind of takes me off. And that goes back to 1861. Say, oh, it's a post-racial. Yeah. You know what? It's people who don't learn from history, et cetera, et cetera. Repeat you know? it. Yeah. And, and now we're, And you say not learn from history. Yeah. This is an interesting word you use, learn from history, because, of course, this is central to American debate at the moment as well, yeah. the teaching yeah. of history. And, and this critical race. Yes, theory bollocks if you pardon Mm. but there is no better word for Mm. it you know and and all that oh my god you want to teach you know our poor little white children that we were mean to black people you know and and they get up in arms and the fury that that even um, imagine learning imagine learning the, the you know the the the, the Tulsa race massacre you know uh, in the 20s yeah imagine not never learning that yeah imagine yeah that being deleted from history and you let's say you lived in Oklahoma Yeah. And you didn't learn that in the no. biggest town in yeah. Oklahoma, there was this yeah. massive race massacre. Yeah. And the Osage, the Osage County murders, w- yeah. which, which was the genesis of the FBI. That was how the FBI came about, yeah. where, where white businessmen murdered by poisoning, stabbing, drowning hundreds of Native Americans mm. because they happened to be sitting on a spot of oil that made them the richest accidentally per capita people in the world yeah. for a couple of years. And they stole all the money by, you know, by they, because they had to have guardians um, back then. Like, so if, if you were a Native American, uh, there were only about two and a half thousand who had birthrights to this um, and it, it was passed down. But they had to have a white guardian and the white guardian, they were, the, the, the revenues were worth about a million dollars probably two or three million dollars in today's money to each person, each Native American who had those rights. But they weren't allowed to access that money because it was deemed that they wouldn't know what to do with it. So instead, their guardians, their white guardians, kept all the money and would give them about five dollars a year or whatever. And not content with that, they then murdered them and killed them so that they would be able to wangle it to get that. They, they, uh, it's one of the most appalling stories, but Nobody in America knows it. Mm. Like P- Americans I speak to, there's a fantastic book that was written about it uh, several years ago. Um, and uh, But the, the knowledge, because none of this is taught in schools, mm. you know, and, you know, it, the, the black history isn't taught in American schools in, in, in certainly in, in their primary or secondary schools mm. in any meaningful way. But the Native American history isn't taught at all. Mm. That's just scrubbed. That's scrubbed. Yeah. It's it's you know, and and just back to the the, the, the MAGA stuff again because yeah. I, I did did I, I'm just intrigued by the idea of yeah. of UCD Marion, um, barrister Marion, Business Post Vincent Brown, Matt Cooper Marion, Dublin Marion, standing in one of these places. I mean, I know you're a tough bird now at this stage, but still. <laughs> At this stage. No, no, I mean, as, yeah, as in you've yeah. been around the block. I mean, yeah. you can handle yourself. But oh, yeah. my point is, it's still very strange, hasn't it been? This, isn't it? I mean, did you ever feel, did you ever feel, like, I mean, but the point I was trying to ask you earlier on was, with all your experience, did you ever feel, fuck, this is fucking weird? You know, I felt it almost every day. But I will say, okay, there, there was only one time, and I'll talk about that, where I actually felt nervous. Only one time, in, time? in years. That was a time which was, it was coming up to the midterms in 2018. And Steve Bannon was doing a sort of a Minutemen thing down on the Arizona border. And he was giving an award to somebody for basically being a white supremacist was was the, 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 the size of it. And there were all these kind of Minutemen from the Arizona, like border vigilantes who were all gathered. And to get to the place where this party was happening, you I signed up for it, you know, and because I wanted to see because if you don't get out there, you don't know what's going on. You're reading about somebody else's views. So you have to get out there. So I went down and um, I signed up for it. And the, at, you were taken from where you thought was happening on buses into the middle of nowhere outside Tucson. And I remember and I was on a bus with all these people with there and they were red blooded red roaring MAGA guys and they had their flags out the window and they were screaming all kinds of stuff that was pretty chilling frankly and um, so anyway I sent a text to my bloke at the time saying uh, I just want you to know that I'm in Arizona I'm on a bus with a load of of MAGA bros and um, basically you know just so you know because I really the the blood curdling you know when you're in a bus with all these people and you're you're it you're, you're kind of going Jesus like they really are they were so riled up they were drunk they were and then they had this thing I said where they gave out an award and and the conspiracy theories were f- 
flying about Obama and, you know, and the hatred and the vitriol for Obama. Now, so that was the time I was nervous. But back to the MAGA rallies. Honestly, these people, it's so easy to, to do the black and white thing, to say they're all awful. They're, they're not. I met, I'm not kidding. And the weird thing is that for some reason, the MAGA boys find me great fun. And they're always getting in touch with me and phoning me up. And yeah. Cowboys for Trump, the leader, <laughs> insisted I come to his ranch in New Mexico. And I never went. Really? And then also the chairman of Bikers for Trump before he got displaced by another chairman in a very bloody battle, apparently in the middle of nowhere. Um, Love you as well. Also, yeah, they were, and because I take the piss for them. I yeah. have a laugh. Like I was wearing this fur coat one time and one of the guys was wearing something that looked like the rest of it. I may, I was joking. I said, I think you're wearing the rest of my fur coat because yeah. he had this head around his neck. Yeah. And, uh, and well, we would actually, have a laugh and we would, and there, a lot of them were really decent people, but something would happen then. Trump would come on, they, they would be as friendly. Yeah. And you could see there's a fundamental decency that got corroded. Yes, there's by, a fundamental yeah, decency. Yeah. And, and that leads me to, that leads me to, to, to believe that what I've often believed, although it's hard to say you believe something when you're when you're faced opposite somebody like you who has been on the front line so much. But I'll, I'll use the word believe, who believes that that this is a cult because yeah. good people join cults. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. you know, you always hear about like Jim Jones, for example. Yeah. Right. And it's like our little daughter was called Melissa. She was the yeah. nicest girl ever. She was 18. She was in her junior year mm-hmm. in, in, in college. She was a history major. She was brilliant. And suddenly, but she just wanted to go with this guy. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it wasn't as if she was bonkers or bad. No. It's just a, a switch was flicked. Yeah. And this and is what you're talking about. It's I a cult. think it is. Like the cult, it's a cult. Donald Trump, ha- there's a, such a cult of personality around him. It really can't be overstated. And it came from, he has a charisma, whether people like it or not, he has an undeniable charisma. And he has convinced all these people that he's just like them except he's rich. He's just like them, except he happens to be rich. And they could be rich just like him. Because if you think about it, Donald Trump is a poor person's idea of what being rich is like. You know, the supermodels, yes. the wife with the enormous big boobs. It's a cliche. Yachts, it's gaudy. The, it's gold. The gaudy it's, palace yeah. in New York. The, but also, yeah. like, crucially, like a lot of cults, right? Yeah. Donald Trump hates every one of the people who follow him. Oh, he despises them, there's no doubt. And this is the interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. He hates them. Yeah. Nobody who votes for Donald Trump, he wouldn't allow any of them near his clubs. Well, I can literally tell you. In Mar-a-Lago. One day I was going into the, the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. And it was the day of, it was after the election, the, mm. the November 2020 election. Mm. I was back in D.C. And uh, I was, there, there was one of the first protest marches, the election was stolen, mm. stopped the steel marches. And the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. had put up all these barriers. Now, this is before January 6th, before the whole, before um, basically Washington, D.C. became a fortress city. But they had put all the, all the barriers across the Trump Hotel to stop them from coming in. Anyone who just wanted to come in for a drink or mm. even to use a bathroom or whatever, they let me in, ironically. Mm. They had no problem letting me in because mm. I said I'd like to go in. So I wanted to see if there was AMD in there, like mm. if they were, you know, whatever. And they said to me, yes, of course, ma'am, this way, this way. And then they slammed the barrier back up to stop the Trump fanatics and the Trump loyalists who just wanted to go in and pay homage. Literally yep. probably go down their knees He doesn't even the want them to do that. He didn't want them in they his building. They scum to him. Not a, They're completely. filth. Well, you know and what? Ironically, the thing he nearly practically won the 2016 election about, yeah. the deplorables. Yeah. That's what he thinks of them. Oh, yeah. But the worse, he thinks they're way worse than deplorable. I, you know, he says things to them though, and it is funny because he will, he knows their value, and he went into that election. You know, people think Donald Trump. It was a kind of a luck, an accident. It was a fluke. He went into that knowing what would work because he had done a dry run basically with the Obama birtherism and he was taking the temperature of how racist America was, how much fear there was that, my God, there was a black president in the White House, not just one term, but two terms. And as you say, the whole replacement theory and that and he decided that he could, if he basically ginned up enough white people in America because there's still 60 percent of the electorate that that was the only way he could win. And it started with the Mexicans are rapists. He knew from day one how he was going to, if he was going to win, if he'd any chance, Mm. how he was going to do it. I think the mistake all the journalists made 
was we didn't believe there were enough people who would buy into it. And also a lot of these people hadn't registered to vote previously and had they were what they called low propensity voters. Mm. You know, they'd never bothered voting in an election. Um, and so he got them sufficiently riled up to mm. register, to vote, etc. And I think that we, you know, all of us made a mistake. We yes, didn't see it coming. Several people did see it coming, though. Yeah, they did. There were some. There and there were, were some, some that were on yeah. record as seeing yeah. it coming. Several yeah. people, I'll name two of them. Um, two yeah. of them would be interested. I'd be interested in their commentary. One of them is a comedian. One of them is a documentary Bill maker. Bill Maher. Bill Maher is the yeah. comedian. Yeah. And Michael You're Moore right. is the documentary That's maker. That's right. Michael yeah. Moore, many, 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 many months, Various, up to yeah. a year or two, he talked about a Molotov yeah. cocktail. Yeah. The Molotov cocktail was the people wanted to throw a Molotov cocktail into the world of politics. Yeah. They hated every fucking yeah. one of them. They hated, them all. They hated the they Republicans. Hated they yeah. hated Washington. And they hated yeah. the Democrats. It, mm-hmm. it was it was a cross party. What yeah. they wanted was somebody to come in and fucking blow it up. Yeah. They wanted to blow it up because they don't trust anybody. Yeah. And one of the reasons they don't go on. No, I was going to say, and Steve Bannon was again with Breitbart and all that. He saw that, he sensed it and he then came together with Trump in the last, because the last couple of months Trump was flailing. He was The the campaign was a mess in 2016. He really was flailing. But I think people thought, Democrats always think people will be outraged. Oh my God, they're going to be so outraged. These people, when they hear that he slept with a hooker, who is outraged that Donald Trump slept with a hooker? You know, is there anyone in the world? Is Go, Gano! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God! Did she have big tits? Oh, exactly. Nobody is outraged by, by Trump. Donald Trump doesn't pay his taxes. Do they really think that any Trump voter Go, will Donald. give a damn about well, that? Well, no, because you're yeah. cheating the system, and yeah. that's good. Exactly. Beating those IRS. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's people now who are running on, um, there, are, there are senators, yeah. uh, p- p- potential senators, running on campaigns of, we will abolish the IRS. Yeah. I mean, people hate the IRS. Yeah. So th- the fact that Trump, and as you say, that, the, that he and Bannon, who was, who was like that before Trump, they want to just disrupt. They call themselves disruptors. They just want to smash everything with no idea about what was going to replace it. it. It is still put forward or has been until recently as the, as I said, the, the, the emblematic of what democracy and, and the dream, the potential dream stands for. Yet like some of the stuff you hear about mainstream life in America yeah. would shock you. So for example, a primary school teacher in America mm. can't afford to live. They need another job. Yeah, they, two, three jobs. Yeah. Um, 50 million people Mm-hmm. approximately, on food stamps. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. This is and incredible. So in other words, this country who, yeah. it's America, mm-hmm. is actually in many ways a poverty-stricken fucking hovel. A, to use Trump's expression, a shithole. Um, if you're not yeah. on, if you're not on three, four hundred grand a year in America, forget it. You're, you're down the toilet. Do you know, honestly, I wouldn't agree that there's a reason I've spent about 14 the last 20 years in the States. I love it. Mm. I love it. Good. I like I, there are so many things I love about it. And mainly it's the American people. I have never come across as a people with all the faults and everything we've discussed more generous, more fun, more optimistic. And you know what? Part of the reason is that that they've been sold a pop with the American dream is Americans do not begrudge success in any form. If, if they see somebody going on like Trump, you know, and becoming a billionaire despite all the odds are allegedly, they'll go, good on you, good on you. And the way they see it is that means that I could do it too because I'm not as thick as him, <laughs> basically, or whatever. They see it as a sign that they too can succeed. They don't see it as that so-and-so must have done something to get there and must, you know, and there's, a, you know, there's a fun and a generosity. Years ago, I dated the cowboy from Texas. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with Texas, but the, the fun and the good humouredness and the optimism and the decency that has gotten corroded, I think, mm. in, by, you know, because to me, there's nothing sadder than seeing... Now, at, at one of the MAGA rallies, another time I was slightly nervous, um, was I had, you drive to get to those rallies. You've got to drive. I don't have a private plane, obviously, or a, a Donald Trump Jr. A helicopter or escort. You can drive up to 1,200 miles a day. So I was going from some dump in Ohio to Circleville, Ohio, which is an even bigger dump. I'd driven at 120 miles an hour for five hours straight. Got out of the car. I was just dying to go for a pee. Just dying to. And so I jumped out. Everybody was already gone into the rally. And there's one of these trucks, you know, the big bumper trucks with the wheels like tractors. Yeah. And I thought, oh, geez, I'll just go here. Nobody will see me. And there was a Mike Pence poster on the ground. I didn't have time to take out of the way. So I pissed on my head. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, uh, not realising, the door opens. 
And this 400 pound guy in the tattoos <laughs> and the check shirt goes, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And it was just like... Good, you just pissed on Mike yeah. Pence. You just pissed on the disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. Chad, so, Judas, Titus, get in here. Chad, Brad, Cletus, look at this motherfucker. And he had a gun in the front of the car. Yeah. It's open carry there as well. And I remember just going, oh, jeez. And I tried to, to pull, up your... pull up the jeans and run at the same time and get out of there as quick as possible. And uh, so th- like, there would be moments, but then... Like, literally, a couple of hours later, I'm at another rally. The battery um, is gone in the car because I forget to turn the lights off uh, when I get there. And, like, a bunch of MAGA bros jump-started it, gave me their numbers, gave me and said, like, if you get any more trouble down the road, just call us, we'll come and get you. It doesn't matter where it is. And, again, there's Mm. that thing where... You and yes, I know what you mean. I'm I'm not... I can be cynical or even realistic and say, yeah, I'm a white woman, you know, like yes. I'm, you know, if I were a black man in that situation, yes. or a Mexican man, or a Mexican woman, who knows what would happen? Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm not trying to paint it as, but I love the diversity. I love the adventure of it. I, there, there isn't a dump in America I haven't been in. Uh, I was in actually <laughs> during the last campaign as well. Oh Jesus, I could tell you stories for a year, but there was, um, I was going. The weather in America changes like that. I was driving up through this. God forsaken dump. I was trying to get to Montana, I think. And I obviously got lost in no sense direction. Anyway, I ended up on the road in Sterling, outside Sterling, Colorado, this tiny little place. And this ice storm and sort of cycle, just the most mental weather just hit. And all these trucks were jackknifed across the roads. And, and like there was, it was carnage. So I thought, oh, geez, I've got to pull in. It was about one in the morning and I thought I've just got to pull in and find a hotel so I pull up outside this thing that's sort of like a low rent I don't know Motel 6 but not quite and I go in and there's this woman behind the counter and she's got this name badge on that says Angel and I go hi um, I'd love a room for that and she goes yeah and she's like yeah that'll be no problem that's going to be and she just looks up at the ceiling and pulls the number out of her arse obviously and goes that'll be uh, $375 I went what? <laughs> She looks at the weather like yeah, and she, exactly. Mm. And she goes, "I said three hundred seventy-five dollars." Like, and I said, "But it's usually about sixty dollars." And she went, "Well, you know, ma'am, if you don't want to stay here, she goes, there's a truck stop across the road, and there's also the the um, Sterling Men's Correctional Facility. I'm sure you'll find a bed in either of them." And I just looked. I said, "Are you sure your name's Angel?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was, there is that kind of hard headedness as well, and that sort of. Yeah. But you, it makes me laugh more than you know what I mean. I don't. I never find it. It like all of the crazy little places I've been to. Like there have been times when I've literally. There was one town where I drove around a tornado barrier into a ditch and out the other side, and I said, "I will take my chances." on the road in the line of a tornado rather than stay here for a night. Yeah. And the clue was they had one nightclub and it was called Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you do, you see it all and you kind of, but there's such, I don't know, adventure and humour and the fact that, you know, apart from anything else, the scenery and the diversity, it's it's a beautiful country. And like I said, I think I probably should have been a trucker. Not in West Virginia the last mm. couple of days. But I love country well, Marian, music. I can drive for 12 hours a day yeah, happily. And Marion, yep. can I just say one person to another? Because, yep. you know, meeting you, which is much different to meeting you in person. It's been a completely different experience than hearing you on the radio. So here is from a person who studies people and listens to people on the radio. I mean, your voice on the radio, and this probably comes across in the podcast as well, is you're, you sound like a delicate flower and you sound, and of course, you're Democrat, as in, as in not Democrat, but liberal leaning. Um, yeah, I suppose that'd be, well, yeah, compared, that'd be to Cal, uh, compared to Cal, for example. Compared to Cal, Genghis Khan's liberal leaning, come on. <laughs> no, and I love Cal. I know, I know. <laughs> I love but, Cal. But, but my point is that you sound so, the way I play you as well when I'm ever doing an impression of you is that you're delicate. But the woman I meet is, you've got elbows. And you are able to handle yourself. And of course, it sort of dawned on me while I've been talking to you. Of course you are. You are a journalist working on America. You have to be able to, you know, Jesus, you can't just be a shrinking violet. No, and I think you have to enjoy it. You have to have fun with it. And it's the same. Being on Mike Pence is, 
And but ironically, the guy that um, the, of all the guy the, that comes out, he would have been one of the guys in Capital going, "Hang yeah, Mike I, Pence, you know, hang Mike no Pence." No doubt. Like a couple of months later, you're, you're they would have been up there with the yeah. noose and the and the makeshift. Sc- but you maybe, get near but it. maybe Marion, yeah. it's the maybe Marion, it's 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 the beginning of the end in a way. And what I mean by that yeah. is, I mean, yeah. clearly the 20th century was American was America's century. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're maybe we're coming out of that period. Well, of, all empires, way, yeah. you know, yeah. You know, yeah. who could have predicted the Roman Empire? The way it, the way it was shaping I, I up. I was around at the time and I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked, let me tell you. You know, <laughs> There I was underneath the Colosseum. I'm taking a piss on Julius Caesar. (laughs) Julius Caesar had my pants around my ankles. I'm peeing on Julius Caesar. Brutus comes around and goes, What the fuck is this broad doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, So, yeah, I mean, it is. And I was in China in 2019, September, October 2019. No cracks about me causing the yeah. coronavirus now. Thank you very much. But uh, and to see Marianne the McEwen. infrastructure, yeah, mm. to see the infrastructure in Shanghai, in Beijing, yeah. in all those big cities, to see you get a bullet train in Shanghai yeah. from the airport into the middle of the city in yeah. 18 minutes. Yeah. The, the infrastructure the, and the whole... And how they are colonising yeah. the world themselves yeah. by colonising Africa and buying up half of Africa. Honestly, and- when I was in um, Nairobi back in geez, what, 2012, it probably was, China was building everything, all mm. the roads, everything, and and they're in a sense yeah. they're they're making these deals with these African yeah. countries where they're putting them in debt. Yeah. So they're saying, yeah, hey, they're we'll build you your roads. Loan uh, sharking, basically. They're loan yeah. sharking. We're, yeah. We'll build you your roads. Now you owe us twenty billion. Have you got yeah. it? Oh, yeah. you don't have it. Yeah. Okay. Well, can you just give us that little um, sacred place there that yeah. we like? Yeah, um, we we'll take all, that with all the minerals and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. underneath it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll have a yeah. we'll have a look at that. Yeah. We'll take care of it for you. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing. It's, it's all a bit nasty, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it does feel like America is sort of. I actually thought after nine eleven and the war in Iraq and that whole thing because I was down in in Ground Zero on on nine eleven. I thought it was a, a plane crash. You know, so I went. I got down there pretty early before they stopped blocking off the roads, and I had the NY and the NYPD give you a general press pass. So I was allowed in at that stage, past Fourteenth Street. And to me, the couple of weeks after that, when Bush was kind of like, "Okay, we're going to do like into Afghanistan restrained," everyone knew this was going to be a springboard to Iraq. And I think that to me was the beginning of the end because. I remember the night of 9-11 or the night after because I got back very late that night and there was a rerun of some programme on CNN and Alan Dershowitz of Prince Andrew, etc., Jeffrey Epstein fame, was making the case for why torture was acceptable in certain circumstances. And I thought, my God, the fragility of American democracy that within a couple of hours... People are talking about, yeah, it's fine to torture. Yeah. It's fine. You know, like the rule book went out the window yeah. at the very time when they needed it. Uh, and I suppose tr- democracy as well relies on, democracy re- relies on both sides agreeing yeah. that there are facts and that yeah. there are truths. Yeah, that that phone common... is on the table. Yeah. We both no agree reason. on that. No yeah, exactly. So when you, when you reach that, then it's all bets are <laughs> off. Elephant. All bets are off. Uh, yeah. Marion, I could talk to you all day um, about this stuff and, and I'd, I'd love to talk to you about the nerdier stuff as well because I love the nerdy stuff. The but nerdy I won't stuff. because um, okay. there's more stuff to do because um, there's some people on the line who've been listening. Oh, Jesus. And they'd like to get involved. <laughs> would you put on your, um, would you put on your, 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 put on your headphones there? So um, actually, uh, Cal is on the line. So say hello to Cal. <laughs> hello, Cal. How are you? Hey, Marion. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Marion? You know, um, I'd like to congratulate you on a great performance, Marion, in this podcast. Personally, I don't know how you keep the act going, Marion. I don't know. Considering your political views, last time I saw you, you had a pillowcase over your head. Um, can I still come? <laughs> of course you can. To Arkansas? <laughs> Sure, honey. You know Anytime. what? You invited me. Have you got your own pillowcase? You No, you invited me to the annual Guns for Toddlers convention. <laughs> Thanks, Marion. Anytime, darling. Anytime. Love you, Marion. <laughs> Love you too, gal. <laughs> Matt Cooper's on the line. Okay. Say hello but, to Matt. Matt, hello. How's the mullet? <sighs> hello, Marion. Hello there. How are you? Listen, um, why didn't you tell me the story about pissing on Mike Pence? I'd like to hear about that. Um, have you been urinating him? It's, it's not that kind of a show you do, Matt. Let's Any other politicians it. I need to know about urinations? Not recently. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a million. Uh, Donald Trump is on the line. Say hello to Donald Trump. Oh, dear God. Hello, Donald. Tough lady. Tough lady. Tough blonde. Always have time for a foxy chick. I'd give you a seven. 
I'd give you a seven. What would you give me, Marion? I know what I'd give you, Donald. <laughs> but I wouldn't like to say it on air. How about a gig on Fox for you? Love it. Laura Ingraham, you, in a sandwich with Tucker Carlson. <laughs> what do you say, Marion? You're a great communicator. Great communicator. Great com- Would you like to be part of my 2024 team? I can think of nothing I would like more. <laughs> I can think. Do you know who loves you, Marion? Donald Jr. And I know you love Donald Jr. I, I... <laughs> no, sorry, I can't go there. I can't go there. <laughs> I love abroad with a great laugh. Come and work for me. Do you think he's going to uh, run into... Are you any good at soothsaying? Am I? Any good at predicting? No, most I, people, most journalists t- say they're terrible at predicting. Are you one of those? No, I did predict that Barack Obama would run for president back in 2004 and I predicted he'd win mm. when John Kerry was running. And I oh, said, yeah. there's no way he's going to win. And I did say it to Matt Cooper, actually, I said, Matt, you know, the next Democratic president is going to be Barack Obama. And I do remember Matt saying to me, but Marion, he's black. And I said, yeah, I know. But he's still going to be the next, uh, because at the time... I never in, said that, hello? At the time... Sorry, I was just been listening there. Are you saying I'm a racist? <laughs> oh, not at First all. First the mullet, now I'm a, a racist with a mullet, is that what you're saying? They usually have, the, the two tend to go together. The next thing you're going to be saying is that I'm carrying an AK-47 in the back of a chump truck. Go ahead, <laughs> Thanks, Matt, sorry, sorry, you shouldn't have been... Shane, take Matt off the phone. Um, but yes... Yeah, so you're such a liar, Marion! She is... A two-bit Trump fan. <laughs> Such fascinating stories from Marion. And if you like the little bit that you heard there, you should definitely check out Marion's full interview from January of last year. Just scroll back a few inches on the series feed or whatever platform you're listening to right now to January 2022 and you will find it. It's, I really, really enjoyed speaking to Marion. Now it's time to hear Cal Thomas's take on politics in America. He's a lot to say about what being a conservative really means which I'm fascinated by, by the way, uh, and so much more besides. But I started by asking about his weekly slot on Matt Cooper's last word and the sometimes, let's say, sparky dynamic between the three of them. Well, it helps to uh, get to know people. And I visited with Matt on several occasions in Dublin and once in New York uh, in the 2016 election cycle, introduced him to people at Fox. Marion has uh, visited with my wife and myself in the Florida, and we visited with her in in Los Angeles. So when you begin to develop personal relationships with people, you can actually have a discussion and find out that you agree on things. More than once uh, on an individual program, Marion will say, well, I agree with all of what Cal said, or I agree with some of what he said. And I'll say, well, you know, Marion, you made a good point. And I think, you know, this, this kind of discussion is good for democracy instead of just constantly slamming other people and labeling them as somehow worthy of the citizenship that they hold in their country. So I respect Matt tremendously. I think he's very smart. He knows a lot about a lot of things. And I uh, enjoy him. And, you know, he's a very good presenter. And he asks these, uh, you know, confrontational questions or runs these sound bites of people making outrageous statements because it's good radio and it helps people tune in, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but to answer the question... Uh, did you feel it hard to defend, you know, your president over those four years at times? Well, it goes both ways. I mean, you know, when uh, Barack Obama was president, there was Marion finding no fault in him at all mm-hmm. and uh, pointing out a number of them, including uh, probably his most famous broken promise about Obamacare. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor and nothing mm-hmm. will change, for you, which, of course, was not true at all. So, uh, you know, this is part of the dynamic. I mean, uh, this is why we have two parties in the U.S. and uh, we are constantly debating and and fighting with one another, hopefully to form a more perfect union. But I, uh, you know, as a conservative, I I realize there is error on my side on occasion. And uh, Marion does, too. And I think it helps for an honest conversation to be able to uh, uh, confess that sometimes your side is not always right. 
Yeah, no, and I've heard you do that, and 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 also I've heard Marion as well do that. And you're right that Matt is a is a very good um, is a very good presenter and a very good uh, uh, you know arbiter of 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 what's fair and what's not. But you did mention the, and I've had both Matt and Marion on the podcast as well, and you did mention the word conservative there, and I, that's something I actually wrote down as one of my first notes that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, in the age of in the age of Trump and in, and this side of the world as well. Cal, in the age of Boris, where it's kind of been moulded to a kind of a cult of personality in many ways. They've kind of bent the conservatism to their own will. They've called it whatever they are. Whatever I am now, that's what conservatism is. But it isn't. It's, that's Boris and that's Trump. What, what for you is a conservative? Because if we, if we want to get back to the days, as you say, where we want to have a civilised debate with each other between in inverted commas, Democrats and Conservatives. Well, maybe it would be a good idea to define what Democrats and Conservatives are. Like, so tell me, what, you know, in good faith, what is a Conservative? That's a great question, and it is one that we should ask more often. Just because you accept the label doesn't mean you are one. Donald Trump, for example, used to be on the other side of a lot of things. Uh, Abortion, for example, uh, being the most prominent. And then he flipped. I didn't think he really gave a uh, honest answer for his conversion. To me, conservatism means more individual liberty, smaller government, no debt, less spending, fewer regulations. Those, I think, are the core principles of conservatism. The idea of conserving means that you keep what has worked in the past and update it as necessary and move forward. The left is for larger government, higher taxes, uh, talking about income inequality, Uh, less individual liberty and responsibility. Now, that can be an oversimplification, but it's largely true, I think. Doesn't mean I don't have friends on the left. Doesn't mean I don't have conversation and personal relationships with them. I do. But I do think that uh, we are not the first people to walk the earth. We don't have to invent the wheel or discover the use of fire. We have a past. We know which policies have worked domestic and foreign, and we should not just have to repeat this every election cycle. We should discard things that are not working, keep things that are working. I remember Bill Maher, the American comedian, made um, a good remark recently when he said, you know, why is everybody in America against the word socialism? Why is the word socialism in America a bad word? When, in fact, you know, in Europe, for example, socialism isn't a bad word. But if you say the word socialist in America, you're akin to being the devil or something. And then he said, for example, like, look, at, for example, roads. Roads are socialism. We all need roads. And, I'm, and the government builds roads. I don't walk down a highway or walk down um, a highway, Cal, and go, sorry, I'd just like to put out my little bit of road here that I want to walk on my own. You can't walk on that road because that's my road. No, we build roads so that we can all walk on them. And that's socialism. So well, I, government, I, you need government to build those roads and you need government to do those things. Well, I don't think that that's socialism. I think that's uh, promoting the general welfare as we have in uh, one of our founding documents. I remember what Margaret Thatcher, the late prime minister of Britain, said, the only problem with socialism is you soon run out of other people's money. Uh, We we are supposed to have limited government. The founders of our country uh, expected government to be limited so people would be unlimited. The purposes of government are outlined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. When Thomas Jefferson wrote about certain endowed and alienable rights, he also wrote in the Declaration of Independence and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. To secure what rights? Well, the rights that God had endowed. Why is that necessary? Because as James Madison said, another one of our founding fathers, if men were angels, government wouldn't be necessary. So the purpose of government is to promote the general welfare, provide for the common defense, ensure domestic tranquility. The rest is up to us. We have reverted from that to our current notion in the United States that the government is our keeper we shall not want. The government is a first resource, not a last resort. Compassion is getting people out of poverty. I remember something the late Barbara Bush, the wife of uh, George H.W. Bush said, uh, our, our success as a nation, your success as a family, depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. The whole Mm. idea of personal responsibility, hard work, taking a responsibility for yourself has gone out the window. And now we tax the successful, 
We regulate corporations. We are into envy, greed, and entitlement in America. When I was growing up, it was inspiration followed by motivation followed by perspiration improves any life. And now if you make, uh, say, two euro, and Mike, I make one euro to put it on the European perspective, you owe me 50, uh, you owe me half of that just to be fair. Well, that's socialism, or as Barack Obama said, spreading the wealth around. I don't want to spread the wealth around. I want to spread the opportunity around for more people to be wealthy. That's what America is, or it used to be. I mean, more, you know, we all know from the from the from post-war, from post-war America, the land of opportunity. But for me, more and more, while I am a great admirer in what what's called the American ideal or the idea or the American experiment of democracy or even the American dream, it seems that opportunity is something that doesn't really exist to the same extent anymore in America. So, for example, the idea that Hey, any, everybody that's born can be can eventually become president of the United States. But really, that really isn't true in 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 practice, is it, Cal? Well, I don't think I mean, anybody, not everybody wants to be president of the United States. No, but, but to reach the highest element, to reach the highest version of themselves that they can be. Really, it's people are excluded, though, aren't they, Cal? I'm excluded. I was not, for for a long time. I wasn't hired because I was too young. Now I'm not mm. hired because I'm too old. I'm too white. I'm too male. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I don't complain. I don't file suits. I find a yeah. different way around the blockade to become successful. Uh, I've been blessed. Be, now I'm the most widely syndicated columnist in America. I had to work at it. I mean, I was turned down here and there, but I didn't give up. I mean, I played basketball in high school and college, but I knew mm. I wasn't going the NBA. So I went to NBC. I knew the limits of my, I knew the limits, yeah, thank you for letting me get that line in. Uh, I knew the limits of my talents, but I didn't feel discriminated against because I wasn't good enough to play with the big boys. So when I say land of opportunity, you have to examine your own skills. And there are certain rules which, if followed, will make your life better than if they are broken. Getting married before you have children, don't take drugs, stay in school and get a decent education and work hard. Now, you might not be president of the United States. You might be not be the head of a corporation, but you'll be able to provide for yourself and your family and hopefully have a job that uh, you're happy with. That's what an yeah. opportunity means. Not equal outcome, but an equal chance at developing your own skills to the maximum. Cal, I have a quick fire. Who is your most savory Democratic senator? Oh, boy. Uh well, you know, I've had, you know, I had a great relationship with Ted Kennedy. We were friends. I was going through a box of letters the other day, notes that he had sent me, and just realized how, you know, one, one night I took he and his wife uh, to hear Mary Black, who, who was uh, in uh, performing in Alexandria, Virginia. And we had a great evening together, and head snapped everywhere. And I overheard somebody saying, What's Cal Thomas doing hanging out with Ted Kennedy? A friend of mine, you know, I don't, I don't denounce people for their political positions or their beliefs. And this is how you get heard and get respected by respecting other people and listening to their points of view. So, uh, you know, I maybe somebody will make a speech on one side or the other and I'll write about it. And I say that is a bad idea. But I hope in my columns over the years, so I can't, you know, I've written over 3000. I have to go back and look at them all. Uh, actually, I did for my new book. But uh, I hope I haven't uh, engaged in the personal attack that a lot of people do. I mean, these are people who are elected by their constituency. Who am I to denounce them? Let them denounce themselves if they want. (laughs) I'm not going to make I'm not going to give you any more difficulty on that. Um, Who will be the next Republican nominee for president? Well, I hope it's not Donald Trump, because uh, I think his corrosive personality and here I go, I'm not condemning him. I mean, I've interviewed him. I, I know him a little bit. But I, I really think that and the age factor. I mean, uh, here, is, uh, here is President Biden, who in 2024 is going to be 82 years old. Uh, uh, Trump will be, what, 79, something like that. I think we need a lot of youthful and more vigorous leadership. And there are a lot of them out there from uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida, uh, Christy Noam, the governor of, uh, of uh, North Dakota, um, many, many good uh, younger leaders out there that can 
give us new blood and inspiration. You know, when, when Kennedy came into office, he said in his inaugural address, the torch has been passed to a new generation. I love that line. And I think it's time for the torch to be passed from a lot of these older people who've had their time, including those in the Senate, but especially uh, running for president to a new generation. We've got a lot of 40-somethings and 50-somethings out there that are intelligent, that are capable, that are experienced. A lot of our governors uh, with administrative experience, Mike Pence, uh, who's been a friend of mine for many years, former vice president. I knew him when he was first in Congress and then governor of Indiana and then vice president, a man of great integrity and uh, personal uh, uh, uprightness. I think he would be terrific. So there are a lot of them out there. And I, I think that uh, Trump would be very, very divisive. And, uh, you know, he, he's still replaying the, the last election. That's just not going to cut it. People want to look to the future, not to the past. OK. Was January 6th orchestrated by Trump? I don't think it was orchestrated, but I think he certainly contributed a lot to it. Uh, you know, uh, he urged people to go down to the Capitol. I'll be there with you. Well, of course, he wasn't. And you had a lot of fringe elements in the crowd. You had some people who were just there exercising their First Amendment rights to peaceably assemble and to petition their government, which it says in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. But then you had the other crazies, whether it be QAnon or some of these other radical groups who, who actually thought that the election had been uh, wrongly decided and that enough people had cheated, which has never been proven in any court, including courts presided over by Trump judges, uh, who, who turned to violence, which is never the answer. Not in, you know, not in a, in a, in a constitutional republic. It may be in third world uh, countries, they think, but, but it's never really the answer because it doesn't solve anything and you don't win the argument. Um, you said this earlier on about, about Republicans and fiscal, fiscal um, probity, um, small government, limited regulations, fiscal probity. If the Republicans who claim to be fiscally conservative um, are conservative, how come the, the, the national debt has gone from 21 trillion to 30 trillion in the four years of the Trump administration? Well, yeah, COVID is one of the great answers. I mean, it cost a lot of money. And before that, Afghanistan, of course. And his uh, um, tax cut? Well, no. Well, look, if you're giving more money to government, hoping that it will spend it responsibly, is like giving more blood to Dracula, hoping he won't bite your neck again. I mean, the, the worst thing you could do is give more money. Look, look at all the misspent money, billions of dollars that are missing from COVID relief. Where did it go? Nobody knows. The irresponsibility of politicians to handle our money is like sending your kid off to college with a budget. And after the first week, he gets drunk, he's partying, he, he buys a car he can't car he can't afford, and then he calls you up and asks for more money. You'd be an idiot if you sent it to him as a parent. But that's what that's what government in the United States does. Okay, we've misspent all of this money, and we don't know where half of it is. And a lot of it we spent has not produced the results we claim, but we want to spend more and we want to tax you more. John Kennedy, again, cut taxes. The economy boomed. Ronald Reagan cut taxes, but later raised them, unfortunately. And the economy boomed. Every time taxes are cut, hopefully along with, with uh, reducing spending, and you're right, that hasn't been done, uh, we get a stronger economy. Well, whether you agree with Cal or not, you can't deny his opinions are incredibly well-researched and thought out and um, held and delivered uh, with goodwill, I think. And he delivers them beautifully as well. Thank you for listening. It's mariorosenstock at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with me about anything um, to do with the show. Um, please tell one other person about this podcast if you're enjoying it. See you same time, same place next week. <laughs>